As countries around the world deal with cases in the hundreds of thousands, across Nigeria, people have watched with bated breath as the numbers tick up. But amid the cries of hunger and economic woe, there are stories of survival from those who have been infected, treated, and come out on the other side. But some of our leading scientists believe there's still a lot to learn from the pandemic, and it cannot be business as usual. Hello, and welcome to NOW, the podcast that examines the impact of the COVID-19 virus on all aspects of our lives here in Nigeria. I am Shokwe Martins. In this edition, Life on the Other Side, a discharged coronavirus patient shares his road to recovery. I was pretty much waiting to hear it was a negative, so I was absolutely shocked that it was positive. We speak with eminent virologist Professor Oyewale Tomori. We're not thinking of the future. We are, what I used to tell people, what the government is doing is like putting icing on your rotten cake. And Kennywood megastar Sani Danger talks to us about Kano going into lockdown. Maybe we might get a little problem, maybe on Friday, maybe some people might still want to go to Moscow. That's just the thing that I'm thinking that we might, the, the government should really, really be serious with that because I know Kano people when it comes to things like this. The NCDC has kept us abreast of the number of confirmed cases, survivors, and deaths in Nigeria. But behind every number is a story. I spoke with Emmanuel Asika, a recovered coronavirus patient, about his experience with the disease and his road to recovery. Well, considering where I'm coming from, I should say I'm feeling absolutely great. I, I don't have any symptoms. I'm actually feeling very great right Fantastic to hear. Okay, so when did you know that you had the coronavirus? Interesting story. I had something akin to malaria mm. symptoms. So I went to the hospital and confirmed that I had some form of malaria. So I did a treatment for malaria for about two days. Um, however, after two days, I still had a slight fever, recurring fever, and some diarrhea, uh, which was still persistent. So I went back to the hospital Again, I was also not able to eat because I, I had nausea and vomited. Uh, so I was hospitalized in a hospital in, in Victoria Island. And they kept the test, they did all of the tests. The doctor, very honest man, came to me and said, Look, I need to be very open and transparent with you. All your tests are fine. We do not have to explain your experience and diarrhea. Now, a day after they had said this to me, the physician comes to me and says, I have been doing some reading, and I think that the WHO has just added diarrhea as part of the symptoms for COVID-19. For me, it's important to mention this point because a lot of people don't still know that something as simple as diarrhea can be a symptom. I didn't have respiratory issues, just a slight fever, but diarrhea was the major symptom that I had. And so we did a check, we went to NCDC, did a check, and then I, I turned out positive. And that was where the journey to recovery began. I can tell you for free that the very first time that the hospital suspected that it could be COVID-19 because of diarrhea, we probably made a mistake by driving directly to Yaba to try and see if we could get tested. We had to go back to the hospital, get in touch with NCDC, and the hospital the very next day. And then I got the results in, in about 24 hours. Let's get to the moment where the results came back and 24 hours later, the test comes back. It says positive. What was that moment like for you? So for me, I didn't imagine I could have COVID-19. I thought I had followed all the protocols. 
I was actually one of the people in my workplace who was driving adherence to, you know, hand sanitization, some form of social distancing. Uh, in my house as well, I was following all the protocols, so I, I screening visitors coming into the house and all of that. So I didn't expect that it could be COVID-19. As a matter of fact, I was feeling like I was going to disprove the suspicions of the doctor. So when they came in to say, okay, we go to house, I was pretty much waiting to hear it was a negative. So I was absolutely shocked that it was positive. Because I moved from shock to denial to questioning to to like eventual acceptance. It was, a, it was a whole range of emotions that I felt. So what was the next step after the result came back? Did you have to go to the treatment center? What happened after that? Oh, yeah. Got the result in the hospital. The hospital told me, okay, results are positive. And so it means that we need to transfer you to the isolation center in Yaba. Going over to the isolation center, how was the treatment you received there? The experience was pleasantly shocking. <laughs> We got into a place where we had heard, whether true or not, that the index case almost ran out of because he, he was uncomfortable, there were mosquitoes. And so we were pretty much, well, I was pretty much bracing myself for the worst. And when I get into the center where I had 24 hours electricity, air conditioning, I had to cover myself with the Google uh, because of the ACs and the fans. Uh, we had three meals a day, very good meals, to be honest, even though I couldn't eat it for almost the entire period because I, I had more behind out from it. And you had cleaners who were cleaning three times a day. The treatment was personalized, so it was not one size fits all. We always checked what exactly your condition was. I mean, something about diabetes, someone had hypertension, and they were treated at what exactly was their condition. In terms of the case management, in terms of the doctors and the nurses, absolutely first class. They must say blessed wish health workers that they have. Despite all the challenges that they face, having to risk their lives, having to isolate themselves from their families so that they do not risk infecting them. Having gone through what you did, what's your response when you see some people in Nigeria still disbelieving that there is coronavirus? Because we've seen a number of conspiracy theories come out about maybe different governments making up cases so that they can receive funding. What would you say to people who think it's all a big hoax? I am really shocked that people think it's a hoax. And never, ever did I think that this was um, a fairy tale. Of uh, course, we have lived through Ebola, and um, for me, I always thought that this was a present danger, and they were trying to respond in, in time. So, and, and you're right, I have um, cousins, I have neighbors, at least in two different occasions, people walk up to me to say, Manny, I'm absolutely shocked. I never thought this was real. I honestly thought this was some form of conspiracy. It's amazing that people still have that thought. Um, one of the things that we have asked ourselves to doing is to also come out and be public about this. I think when people begin to see people that we know tell the story of how they caught the virus and then went through it and recovered, it tells two stories. First, that it is closer than we thought, it is real, but more importantly, you can get through it and you can survive COVID-19. I have had the call to drive to and fro the isolation center in Yaba. I, after I tested negative three times, I still have to go back five days after just to do a follow-up checkup. I see the fact that people are trooping out on the street. People really do not understand the gravity of what we are faced with. I am a legal witness, and this is very, very real. 
in all of the countries in the world that have had the strongest response to the coronavirus pandemic, there is one common denominator. Testing, testing, testing. But testing comes with its own issues. Juliet Obata reports. One of the major hurdles Nigeria needs to cross as it strives to sustain its fight against coronavirus is to avoid the community spread of the disease. This will imply a race against time to conduct as much tests as possible daily, and this might prove to be a daunting task with the limited resources available in the country. In Nigeria, more than 300 cases of COVID-19 have been confirmed, of which 99 have been discharged and 11 deaths recorded. Lagos State, which is where most of the cases of the COVID-19 virus have been recorded, has now commenced community testing. Do we have enough testing kits in Nigeria to sustain this exercise? I spoke with the Director General of the National Institute of Medical Research, Professor Babatunde Salako, and explains the importance of door-to-door -door testing and the need to involve the private sector. A lot of people out of stigma and fear have refused to come out for testing. In actual fact, our experience now shows that the number of people coming out for testing is going down. And so, it's either that we have saturated the case definition that NCDC produced, meaning that almost finished people who have uh, visited the high-risk countries or contacts who have symptoms, because those are the case definitions. Or people who have symptoms within high prevalence of the COVID 19 uh, infection. So, what it means is that we must expand the case definition to cover others. At, at least that's what the legal state government has done. Applying questionnaire on the people to determine who fits in, who is at risk to be tested. As far whether private laboratories should be brought. I think it's uh, very wise to do that. Uh, but the challenge of that is to ensure standardization for for NCDC and the public to trust results coming from uh, the private sector. Many health experts in the private sector are advocating expanded testing in the country to avoid community transmission of the disease. The founder and CEO of Life Bank, Temigiwa Tubusin, Tell us more about the need for testing. So for the center, we just want to expand testing as much as we can. Um, but to be honest, we are in Nigeria and we follow the rules of the federal government of Nigeria. Um, and we follow the, the rules around case definition. So case definition means who can you test, who is the suspected case, and who can you test. Uh, so because those definitions are still quite narrow, we are not able to expand testing to the general public. So we are still testing people with symptoms. Uh, but, you know, this disease could be and is asymptomatic in some people. Uh, so for us, we're still having to follow that rule. And my hopes and my, 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 my goal is to really try to you know, make the case for adjusting the case definition to everybody who is in Nigeria because the reality is the case, you know, this, this thing is already deep in our population. It's traveled around multiple communities. Um, we, the time to really arrest it is now. Um, and the way to really get ahead of this thing is to relax the case, the case definition. If the country has learned anything from China, Spain, and Italy, is that the accuracy of the results of the tests conducted depends largely on how authentic the test kits are, how the samples are collected, 
and if the test kits are used correctly. Research has shown that China reported problems with accuracy in their test kits, and this affected most of the countries like Spain, who bought these kits from them. Nigeria has conducted more than 5,000 tests in the country, and the National Center for Disease Control has said it could now conduct 1,500 tests per day. How accurate are the results of these tests being conducted, and how does the Institute get its funding to conduct these tests for free at this critical time? I asked Professor Salako. The government is just beginning to distribute what they donated and what other people donated. So we are expecting. We will need more support from them. I can also say that uh, we started the drive through free drive through testing on May 30th. And this was supported by some private sector, a few other individuals here and there, uh, supported that drive through And that is why our institution has been able to conduct a free drive through test at our center here in Yaba. Since then, and it's still ongoing. And it's still free. Medical experts are now calling for an in-country evaluation of some of the test kits, which are said to be antibody-based and may not be appropriate for an accurate diagnosis. They call for a more innovative and quicker diagnostic approach. Juliet Obata reporting. With a 10-year tenure as a regional virologist for the World Health Organization's Africa region and a career spent leading research efforts investigating the Ebola fever, Lassa fever, Yellow fever, and Marburg across Africa, Professor Oyewale Tomori has vast experience in dealing with and predicting the course of virulent diseases. Kadria Ahmed speaks with the eminent virologist about how coronaviruses can mutate, which is why we have a problem now. First of all, to say that the coronaviruses are not new to the world. What happens is the fact that the coronaviruses have the ability to change one structure, one protein, or the other, and that's what we call mutation. And by that, they will take a part of a type of protein from one species and then mix in the process of mixing together, something new comes out. We usually compare that to when a man and a woman starting a family, they produce a new child. And that child will have some of the characteristics of the, of the mother and some of the characteristics of the father. But then it's a new person. So normally, you have coronaviruses among the animals. You have coronaviruses among human beings. When we mix together, so also will the viruses mix. And in the process of developing, come out with something new, which the world has never seen before. In terms of just ensuring that we control this pandemic, what is sort of the latest, most up-to-date, and the most scientific advice around ensuring that this virus doesn't get out of hand in a place like Nigeria? Well, unfortunately, it probably has already gotten out of hand. And that's why WHO calls it a pandemic, which means it's a global disease. But while it is here, we see different countries handling this with different styles. Because it's new, and because of the nature of its spread, it is coming through the respiratory route. It means it's much, much easier to spread, like, say, for example, Ebola virus, which, you know, you have to have really direct blood-to-blood contact with the person. While with this one, because it is spread through the air, it's easily, much, much easily spread than, say, any other disease. And that's why all of the theories all the suggestions being made about how to stop transmitting from, from people, like keeping your distance from somebody who is coughing. Because when he's coughing or when he's sneezing, the droplets contains the virus. And therefore, can either breathe that easily if you are close to the person, or it can land on your mouth or land on your eyes, cause the infection. 
the, all the things that we are being told, wash your hand is to make sure that you don't get yourself contaminated. Put it, wear a mask. You know, the mask holds the droplets, and therefore it doesn't get out to people. So more, if a lot of times, the mask wearing is to protect other people uh, rather than with the person who already has the disease. But then health workers who move very, very close to such people also would need to wear masks. I remember if you put on a mask for a long time and it's loaded with the virus, you want to keep changing that mask as quickly and as often as possible mm-hmm. so that you don't end up contaminating yourself or overloading yourself with it. The person who is wearing a mask also has to be careful that the mask is properly used. I mean, I've seen people who put a mask and only cover their mouth but not the nose, or they even hang the mask on their cheek. You, you, you are not, the mask is not doing any good thing to you because through your mouth, through your eyes, and through other pieces, the virus can still come in. So if you're not covering all those except the eye, you know, which may be a bit better, then that's, that's the reason why all the rules and guidelines which are given by WHO and others is to prevent us from spreading the disease. One of the things I read recently was a claim, apparently, that long after a room has been evacuated, the virus can actually linger for days. Is that the case, that the coronavirus can linger on for days and days in a space like a house, or is this not true? Again, we're dealing with a new virus, and that, you know, stories are evolving, knowledge is evolving about it. But the current information is that because uh, and with testing, with, they've done some tests using some aerosols. How long will the aerosols land in a room? We hear stories about, oh, in Africa, it's not going to. But then a lot of people, when you hold your meeting, you're not holding it directly under the sun. You are holding your meeting in an air-conditioned room where the humidity is different from what is outside. So the virus will stay. If you don't get them, if it's under, directly under the sun. Most of the cases of transmission that people are getting is because the environment within the place where we hold our meetings is actually conducive to make the virus live longer or survive longer than if it's directly in the sun. So in an office where you have the air conditioner on, you are actually with the air that is going, you're circulating the, the virus in whatever droplets or whatever container it is, and with the environment, I mean, the uh, humidity and in cool temperature, that virus, that particle will remain either on the ground, on the table, on the surface for a much longer time than when disaster. And that's why people will get infected. And that's why they even insist that, I mean, or suggest that even keep that your distance, wear your mask, which will also prevent whatever is flowing in the, the air. And when you touch a table or when you exchange a document with somebody who has infection, I mean, you wash your hand regularly so that whatever it is there uh, will take care. And people talk about, because of the nature of the virus, alcohol. So in addition to what we've been told about distancing and washing our hands, here in Africa, there's a lot of other things that people think kill this virus. You referred in your last answer to heat, which is one of them. I've heard people talk about steaming as a way of getting rid of the virus. People talk about taking chloroquine. Can you give us an insight into which of these, if you like, home remedies are actually effective in helping to stop the spread of COVID-19 and which ones are just a whole lot of tosh? Part of the problem we have with home remedies is that there's no consistency in the way it is done. The way you steam yourself, whatever you put inside, may be different from what the next person used in steaming himself. 
and so many other things. So, and that's why science insists on being able to reproduce whatever it is you have done. So, somebody comes up and says, put black pepper, put this, put and that. How much of the black pepper do they put in? What is the volume of those things? These are issues that you know, nobody, that, that the stories we hear cannot tell us. And until we have a proper, what you call, scientific backup that you can repeat, you produce whatever it is you have done, many of these uh, home remedies, we cannot vouch for them. But that does not mean that they are not working. Are you getting my point? It's not that they are not working, but for that, we cannot, can you, can I do it the way you did it in your house? And do it the way I did it in my house and get the same results? This is where we have problems. And this is where, unfortunately, the science framework and background in Nigeria does not give us the opportunity for scientists to test all of these things. But this, this is the time for scientists to come out and look at all these remedies and say, yeah, put it to scientific proof and say, yes, it is. And then once that is done, then, you know, somewhere, then we can say this home remedy, if you do it exactly like this, like this, like this, then you can get you know, the result that we're expecting. Now, talk about the chloroquine. There have been different stories coming up. Some results will say there's no, no really major difference. I know there was one of a French group that has tested about 1,060 people, and he's saying this is effective. But that same is the same group that doesn't have a control. By control, we mean you have people who are not getting anything under the same condition as those who are getting it. And then you can compare your results. Um, with that, that control, his result is not, is not really valid. So how long do you think before the world sees a vaccine, realistically? The, if you fast-track it, anything between six months to one year. And a good example, you remember what happened with Ebola? Yes. The Ebola vaccine was actually fast-tracked. It's only recently, since 2014, although we didn't start with about 2015, it took almost two solid years before the WHO finally said, yes, this vaccine is good for use. So it requires, you know, proper testing, ensuring because you're dealing with people's life, and you want to be sure that what you give to them does not cause other problems. The information we're getting now is that even people who have recovered from this, there are reports now that people who have recovered from this thing are coming back and testing positive. So there's so much unknown about this virus that you cannot rush into a vaccine without having fully understand the, the virus as it is. So, sir, earlier you mentioned the fact that, unfortunately, Nigeria is not a place that is conducive for scientific research that would have enabled us to test some of these home remedies that people are talking about. Is, I mean, what this COVID-19 pandemic has done is to really bring to the fore all the shortcomings in this country, from a lack of proper healthcare infrastructure to funding, like you've pointed out, for research. Are you hopeful at all that we will learn the hard lessons from from this pandemic and do things differently? I, I wish I could say that, but the way that we're going now, we're not even talking about research. We're not thinking of the future. We are, what I used to tell people, what the government is doing, is like putting icing on a rotting cake, which is what we're doing now. We are trying to solve this problem immediately, forgetting that the reason we have the problem is that we never had a good foundation to start with. Even countries that had good foundation, they're still having problems. You know, so what about one that does not have the foundation? I, I just, we talk about lessons learned or something. We are a nation that repeatedly uh, forgets the lessons of the past. It's a constant forgotten lesson. 
which comes in and out. See the issue with uh, Lassa fever in the country. Since when has Lassa come in? 50 years ago, more than that. Yes. And since 2018, the number has increased. In fact, we shouted in 2018 that, oh, no, this is the worst year we've had. But then 2019, the figures were much worse. And 2020, this figure is even getting worse than what was in 2019. Nobody's talking about any of those things now, you know, because COVID has taken our attention. We're forgotten. That's why it's still raging. Maybe we'll take advantage of this now and go back to, to laying the proper foundation for scientific research in this country. You know, because... So what, what, would be, what would be the way, for example, to go about this? If they were to ask you that okay we are here we are where we are unfortunately past mistakes have been made how do we move forward contain COVID-19 and then do all the things that we're supposed to do what what would that strategy be let me give a concrete example what would be our contribution to vaccine production for COVID right now we cannot but how can we do that for the next COVID that's what we should be that's where you should begin you take a proper look about your fund your do a reappraisal of what you have on ground. There are a lot of research centers which are just by name alone. Do a proper research and reappraisal of what is available. Lay your standards, what is a standard research corporation that you want or organization that you want. What does it take to have that from? We're not saying get everybody to have a research center. If it is only two or three we have, let's fund it properly. When you do that, and then you have the funds consistently. It's not just one budget this year goes into it, and it's not, it's not there in the next year. You know, th- th- those are the things that you put your money on. Uh, during all this money that is coming in, nobody has said one word about research in this country. I mean, this current epidemic that we're going on. And then we cannot take this country out of the environment where we are. It is, it is wrong, it will be wrong to focus on research alone. The environment in which you are doing the research is as important as the, the form you are giving them. If I still have to depend on, is it what disco, whatever it is that is around you, you know, to provide you with the electricity you want, then there's a major problem. So while we're talking about all those things, we must do the same for every other aspect of the country that will affect research. Uh, I've read uh, the director of NCDC telling me that he spends his time with the disco manager you know, to ensure that they have light uh, power supply to the, their lab in, in Gadua. You know, so, and this, these are issues that you know, we as scientists also must take into consideration. We cannot exist in, in vacuum in this country. We cannot be isolated. NASA, you are a professor of virology and your specialty has included doing research in some of the most horrific diseases we've seen, Lassa, Ebola, measles. So um, I think I'd be uh, correct in saying you're an expert in this area. Because of that, I would like you to tell us whether you're optimistic that we're going to see the back of the COVID-19 pandemic in Nigeria without too much damage. Are you? I'm not. And my reason is that if we were to go by the nature of Nigeria, the attitude of our people. That's most one of the most important things for progress. The attitude of the people, the attitude of the government. If we don't change those ones, there's no we will come back twenty years from now with another COVID and we do the same thing we are doing now. I says we we, we repeatedly live on lessons forgotten, not lessons learned. And except we take this opportunity now to sit back and really sit down, look at our country 
and say, look, where are we? What did we do wrong? Sit down and compare and say, look, what did we do wrong? And I mentioned one thing that Nigeria was not like that before. My generation never really left this country. I, for me, I never left this country for my education. I did everything here. And it's not even in the big cities. I went to one of the remotest parts of this country to go for education. And education standards were high anywhere you went. You know, in any past, you went to the north, you went to the south, you went to the east. You know, So what did we do then? Can't we go back and do those things? This country can do it because we did it before. I, I'm not boasting for anything. If I can hold my own anywhere in the world and still study it in this country without going out, why can't we do it? Why can't this next generation do the same thing? So, so emotional about this thing because uh, I, I'm so proud of my country. But to see this country do what it's doing to its people, I feel very, very sad about it. Really, really very sad about it. Last, when we, when in 2019, when we said, we had the worst case of, of 2018. This is the worst year for Lassa fever in Nigeria. They invited, we invited everybody, public health in HIL, this one, CDC, Atlanta. They all came here with their experts. And we sat down on the table talking. Two of the people who came had come to Nigeria in 1989 as students who came to me in Ibadan. And I took them around this country. This is what we do for Lhasa. This is what we do for Lhasa. This is what we do for Lhasa. They come back 30 years later as experts to teach me how to deal with Lhasa in my country. Are you seeing the point I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. So when you see me getting passionate about this, is because that the same individual whom I put on the way how to do Lhasa comes back 30 years later to come and teach me how to do it. It is not me. It is the environment in which I am. Actor, singer, director, producer. Kanyewood and Nollywood star Sani Danger lives life without limits. But with Kano about to enter a week-long lockdown, what is his approach going to be? Kadria Ahmed speaks with the multi-hyphenate to find out. The COVID-19 pandemic that is going around Kano, I think up to now, a lot of people don't even agree to the issues. But a lot of people are seeing it as if this is just something of the European people or something of, you know, uh, people that the white kind of a disease, it kills only the white people and stuff like that. So a lot of people don't even believe that, yes, this thing is going to happen and is like coming in and a lot of people will die without taking that kind of precaution. So what do you think is responsible for this refusal to actually get through to people that this is a problem that needs to be dealt with? Is it that there's a failure of information? Should government be doing more to educate people? Government should do more, more than what they are doing now. I know we too, we partake in it. And uh, like uh, the part of the celebrities, we came you know, all together and you know, we addressed the issues and the kind of danger that is coming towards us and we need to take it seriously. But I think government needs to do more like bringing in most of the, the religious leaders. Because, you know, uh, everything here in Kano, uh, people tend to, like, put it more on the religious aspect. So whatever you're going to do, you must carry along, you know, the, the ulamas, the, the religious leaders, into any kind of situation so that when they talk to their people and they should talk to part of the religious, what the religious say about this kind of things, I think that is when people will begin to take it more seriously. Because you're so popular and you are in Kano, I assume you also have a, a pause on the finger of what is happening. I know the Kaaba has been shut down. And generally, I would assume the people of Kano would have heard this news. 
Are you surprised that that news has not had the desired impact of making them take this thing seriously? And immediately when the Kaaba was shut down, a lot, a lot of people were complaining. Why would the Kaaba be shut down? If there's a problem, people should run to Kaaba and pray to God. Now the Kaaba is going. Should they run to? A lot of speculation going on. But after some time, when there's you no know, messages going down through WhatsApp, through social media. And, you know, a lot of ulamas came up board and started talking about it, that yes, it's the right thing to do. And now the governor has announced a seven-day lockdown, which I think starts tomorrow. So what is the atmosphere like in Kano right now? What is happening? When you go to market now, it's all about food, food, food. Everybody is doing buying food, drinks, water and stuff like that. So, it's, But I think maybe we might get a little problem, maybe on Friday, maybe. Some people might still want to go to mosque. That's just the thing that I'm thinking that we might the, the government should really, really be serious with that because I know Kamal people when it comes to things like this. And you yourself and your family, how are you doing? How has this affected your work? It really, really does because I just have to just come back. I was even shooting in Lagos. I just have to quit everything and come back. So that at least, because I was hearing they might stop flight from, you know, even domestic flight might even stop. So once I had that, I wasn't comfortable, so I just had to speak with the producer of the movie and tell him I need to go back because once they, I can't even go by road. Mm. So I have to just stop everything. We, 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 up to now, I've not even finished the movie. So I have to just come back and uh, sitting at home wasn't, it's not, it's not that easy. And I hear that you are among the Nigerian stars that the donor countries and donor agencies are working with you're working with the un as well as a few other agencies what exactly are, are you doing um, with these agencies talk to us a little bit about that work we're working with UNICEF, and we did a lot of uh, advocacy and we think we should like uh, intervene and change something so that at least it will suit it will be accepted by the people of Kano. you know sometimes when, we, when we're in a different place you need to know how to pass the message so that our people will receive it and are these messages now still going out? So you, you recorded them and they've gone out, but are they like a constant? Yeah, yeah. I think they are still under kind of edit, but I think uh, we're supposed to have the final product today, production out, and it's going to be everywhere, on social media, TV stations, everywhere in Canada. And I know that in addition to acting, you also um, a well-respected singer in northern Nigeria. So did you put together anything um, special for the COVID-19 uh, pandemic fight? Have you created any music, any song for this? Yes, uh, I think I'm working on that. And I think uh, by today or tomorrow, that one should be released too. And that's it for this edition of Now. I'm Shopper Martins.